0: We live in a society that says nobody's perfect, but often portrays the exact opposite. Our world surround us with ads, images, and social media influencers that constantly remind us of what things should be like. A shining picture of perpetual self-improvement and success. This can make the moments where we experience failure feel incredibly isolating. But worry not, the GLG is here to do our part to normalize failure, share with you how we've failed, and discuss how we and anyone can deal. Welcome to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, Casey Veach, Emily Coakland, and me, Jenny Labrie.
1: Those of us who are literature teachers out there will often use plot diagrams to break down the components of a story to help kids build literacy skills. The plot diagram models the story's exposition, rising action, climax, and resolution. Several years ago at a conference, I heard Alicia Duell, a director of tech and information science in suburban Chicago, speak, and she challenged those in her session to plot the journey of our lives based on our failures. We were challenged to plot those moments based on the way failure felt to us. I found it truly helpful because it illustrated for me in a tangible way what educators and researchers already know about failure. After we fail and fall, we learn.
2: So to ground ourselves in our intention, what we are out to do here is to reflect on our own failures and articulate strategies that will help us reframe the way we view our own failures and can help our listenership do the same.
1: As the token guild member who often uses the most F words that Jenny has to censor (laughs) out, I find it hilarious that I'm facilitating this episode today because... We're really talking about the other F word, and that is failure. I think in this first segment, we want to talk about our own personal stories of failure in an effort to normalize failure. And this is just more so for context sake. I don't know, and I'll share mine when we get there. But has failure been something in your previous personal and professional lives that you've sort of embraced wholeheartedly? What do you mean by embraced? (laughs) Has it been something for you that has, you approach it from the, this is my first attempt in learning kind of definition? When you think of failure and what we're told right now to teach our students about failure growing up, did you have that definition for yourself?
2: Weirdly enough, no, but I'm going to get a little bit meta here. I think just just like anything else, you have to learn how to fail. I definitely was going to beat myself up or want to hide it when I failed something. I was very famously caught hiding some work that I had not completed from my parents. That's another story we're not going to tell today. I, I think failure is something that you grow to become comfortable with or learn what it really means to you over time and over multiple failures in your life. I can certainly say the first many times I failed, not happy about it, not really willing to learn from it, just wanted to move on and pretend it never happened. But you get there.
0: I would say I'm a recovering type A perfectionist. That is definitely something that I've had to learn and not only learn, but embrace and how to do it gracefully. Because I was unhappy being a perfectionist and there's a little bit of freedom when you learn to accept a failure as something that's not where you're stuck but where it can lead you.
1: And today we're really going to more we're going to meld the professional and the personal failures together, but in an effort to normalize getting everyone to feel comfortable with talking about failure, I think we should first talk about in the professional lens. What are some different types of failures? How can failure manifest itself. And one of the ways that I've often viewed a professional failure is through like a rejection. So when I fail, it's someone rejecting what I have to offer, or that personal bid that I'm giving to them. So I will often view an initial failure as a rejection.
0: Misrepresentation of self is another one of those. You try so hard to be your true self, or at least we we think we try to do that, but sometimes we botch it, whether that's in a job interview or when you're meeting somebody for the first time and you want to be friends, and they're like, what is going on with this person? And you're like, that's not really me. I don't know why I said that. Those awkward moments.
1: I do that one a lot too, <laughs> where I'll, it, and it even occurs between us guild members, we'll have a conversation Jenny and I'll text you the next day, and say, "Did I? I'm really sorry. I, I think I said something really stupid. I didn't mean for it to come off like that." I'm often feeling like by so because my social interactions are so awkward sometimes <laughs> that I <laughs> I don't mean to be creepy or weird or catty, and I just am constantly as a middle child or just as a human. I'm worried about what other people think of me. So I'm constantly feeling like I fail at misrepresenting who I am or who I want people to
2: think I am. Nothing like a podcast to feed that (laughs) neurosis. (laughs) another one i'm thinking of is when you put a lot of time and effort into something so you work really hard to create something and then you have to go back and revise it or you have to go back tear it down start over you've made a draft of something you show it to somebody and it's like nope or you look at it even with fresh eyes and you're like this is not what i wanted and you have to go back take it apart and put it back together again. I think that's where a lot of the good failure can be found. The other one that I also screw up quite often
1: because my brain thinks faster than my physical mouth and or fingers can keep up, but miscommunication, whether that's hitting the reply all button, (laughs) and I really don't intend to hit the reply all button. like We've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or replacing in the word shift, let's shift this to another day, leaving out a very important (laughs) F letter. That's also where I feel a lot of personal failure because I want people to think that I take communication very seriously, that I'm an eloquent communicator. And again, it's not because I don't know what's supposed to go there. It's just I'm so quick in order to take action steps forward that I forget that detailed work. So those often come up as personal failures, professional failures for me as well.
0: Another one is challenge. When you're challenged by somebody who either misunderstands you or truly does not think in the same way that you do. And so you're being questioned by something that you've done or maybe not done and That can speak to your reputation of sorts. That's a scary thing, especially when you want professionally
1: to be thought of as somebody who does a good job.
2: Oh, yeah, the call out always hurts.
1: So for any of our listeners out there, we'd love to hear from you about what are some of the most common failure sorts of experiences that you have, meaning which ones seem to impact you the most? And so we've talked about these definitions more so in a general sense. So let's move out of general land. And in order to normalize, name, and talk about failure as a natural step in the growth process or the self-actualization process, we're now going to spend some time talking about
2: our own personal professional failures. Emily? Talking about your own failures is always a little bit uncomfortable, So I'm just gonna lampshade that on behalf of all three of us It's not easy to talk about areas where you're admitting that you have failed. It's a vulnerable thing to do, but I think that it's an important thing to do. Like we mentioned, a lot of work and growth comes from discussion of your failure. And I actually referenced this failure in an earlier episode. I think I mentioned that I had a famously terrible student teaching experience. So, I think we're going to dig in on this today. So, rewinding to 21-year-old me, I was in English secondary ed looking to become an English teacher. At either a high school or middle school, I still wasn't even sure which of those I wanted to start in yet. I was still trying to find my footing. When we were taught in uh, the school of education that I attended, there was not a lot of classroom time. There was a bit of observing, but there wasn't a lot of time that we actually spent learning how to teach. So when I came into the classroom as a student teacher, I was as green as green could be. In my high school placement, I actually had my cooperating teacher sit me down look at my lesson plans for the week, and then look me in the eyes and say, this is your plan for the week. Yeah, I can't believe this. If this was your job, you would probably be fired. So that was one of those, the call out always hurts moments. That was a gut punch. Because I was trying to get out of college and think about getting a job. And to hear that you would be fired from the job that is the only thing you've been studying for the last four years is if that's a major downer moment so not to live here in womp womp said trombone <laughs> land <laughs> it was a really rough thing to hear and There was a lot of emotional turmoil that came as a result of that. But it's something that I still have thought about and think about as the years progress. And I think what it really did was teach me a couple of things. So first and foremost, I really had to think, is my lesson planning really that bad? I actually looked at my plan book and looked at my planning process and tried to think about what was not good about my plans getting in there on the actual plans, I don't think they were that bad. I think I just had to learn a little bit more about how to do adjustment. And that did come with time. I gained that skill in my first year teaching and spoiler alert, I have never been fired from a teaching job. So (laughs) that is very nice to kind of have in my back pocket. But a couple of other things came into that deeper understandings about myself and about the other people involved. So first and foremost, I think the person who said that to me was experiencing some stress and difficulty of her own. A lot of times when somebody either rejects us or challenges us, we think about that specifically as our own failure. And we don't think about the fact that this type of communication and talking to another person is a two-way street and that there might be an entire book of stories that goes behind somebody's day and why they say the thing they say when they say it to you. And I have started to approach that thing that she was said to me. It used to come from a place of anger. Now it just comes from a place of compassion. I think there was a struggle going on. I, I have compassion for her. I, I have no no real vitriol about how that went. But I did walk away from it with a little bit of a mantra. Things I say a lot when I think about that moment. And the mantra I typically roll with is, you were wrong about me. I think about that in my head as something to say when someone has called me out and has said that I wasn't cutting it in this area or that. One of the things I like to walk away with is a desire to prove myself. So maybe she wasn't wrong about my lesson plans at that moment in time, but it certainly became a goal of mine going forward to prove her wrong about me. And I say that with confidence now because I did learn how to plan lessons effectively. I did learn about instructional design. I've learned tons in the amount of time I've been teaching and then working in the LMC and then coaching. There's a lot of different types of instructional design that have come my way. I walked away from this failure feeling like another person was defining my failure for me. And that it was something I was able to take and recontextualize with experience and growth and time away from the difficulty of that specific moment and that comment. I have never forgotten it, though, and I never will.
1: Not wanting to take away from anything that you've shared, but I feel like not that exact experience, but, you know, we mentioned it earlier, where you're being challenged in some way, shape, or form by somebody else who's either being candid trying to tell you something straight and yeah maybe it didn't come off in the best way or that person wasn't in that moment of trying to be a mentor in a typical way that we would think of one but it sounds like it came out the other side so my failure piggybacks off of kind of what i just said But about five years ago, I've mentioned it before, before being an instructional coach, I wore two hats in my previous job. I was a honors level English teacher at a parochial school, and I was doing tech integration facilitating, so helping teachers in my building use the iPads. And I mentioned this before, that it was too much, and I I couldn't sustain doing both tasks well, so I had to say, Alvidea sang and i had spent a great deal of my time applying any place that i could after it was made clear to me that my current job wasn't going to be flexible enough to have me wear the hat that i wanted to wear full-time i applied at a local district and this it was the job that i had wanted they were hiring both a middle school and a high school coach and my high school experience blended perfectly i just felt like going into it this was going to be the job for me and i interviewed i thought the interview went very very well the first round of interviews and the second round of interviews they had me do a lesson plan and i did the typical caliber lesson plan and demonstration that one would see from me and they sat me down after and asked me a couple of questions. One of them was very, very pointed and said, What kind of experience are you bringing in from a middle school? And I remember answering that question saying, I don't have any middle school experience. And in order for me to do that job well, I would need someone, and I remember delivering it in this exact way. I would need someone to mentor and help me to really get a sense for what those middle school kids need because I don't have it. I don't have that experience. And I remember walking out of that interview, head hung low, because not only was I not going to be considered for the high school job, I had made it fairly clear. In my response, me as a middle school coach was going to be hard on them. And I got the phone call from the person, the director of curriculum, saying, you're wonderful, you were so well prepared, you'd be a great addition to any system, but it's not the right fit for us. And I remember listening to that message and that total body response, you know, where every fiber of your being is tingling and that tension's there. And I just sobbed, sobbed because I had wanted it so bad. And I knew the exact moment that, to me, felt like I closed it. I knew. I knew in that moment that me voicing my own fear and imposter syndrome and making myself sound difficult to work with, it didn't embody what that district stood for when it came to rising to a challenge. And so big failure. However, about two days later, I got the call for the job I'm currently in to interview. Call it fate, call it destiny, call it whatever. (laughs) When the question (laughs) came up again, The job is probably going to end up being working in a middle school. I totally had that answer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When you experience that failure, going through that moment of self-reflection, honest self-reflection, to identify where the mess up actually happened, allows you to really learn from it and take it and make it something else. As cliche as this may
0: sound, Casey, when one door closes, another one opens. And I really do believe that there's got to be some fate in that. I do believe more oftentimes than not, when something that traumatic happens in such a failure, hanging on to some thread of hope that there is something better on the other side of that failure.
2: I gotta Um, say, this is kind of wild to hear, though, because like you mentioned, I was at your interview, Casey, and the amount of poise and polish that you brought to the table, even with that question, there was not even the slightest hairline fracture showing in the confidence that you had at the ability to answer that question. So, Because I knew it by that point. <laughs> you did, but that's just it. For all my, you know, I've got my mantra, da-da-da, I'm moving on. I think that's one thing that we do is the area that we failed in the most is it almost becomes a pride point for a person to heal that and make that your best work, not your worst. You could have answered that question in your sleep, I bet, right?
1: Yep, right. And it's only because I knew where it was.
2: There are some moments where I don't know where
1: the failure point was. At that point, I knew. But in other instances, am I not good enough? Am I not smart enough? Does the right person not like me enough? where it's hard to take those moments and learn from them because you can't quite put your finger on why the failure happened. It does help when you're experiencing these moments of failure for you to get clarity on where is the actual failure. So then you can decide what you want to do with it. That's my failure story, and I couldn't imagine doing anything else so for me, I am no stranger
0: to failure as far as my young adulthood being a, I'll use this loosely, being an NCAA athlete at the college level, all of five foot seven inches of myself trying to make it in basketball. Not and, and, bowling. Sorry. <laughs> <not bowling. laughs> so there's that put in my heart and soul into that all day every day. And to just not be able to, to make it how you had dreamed for years. And from that to failing not once, not twice, but having to take a certification, the same certification test five times to get something passed. I have failed lots. And I think because of that, it's made it hard for me to see failure as the F word. Because I think I try to shield myself from it. There is a little bit of trauma from my young adulthood that I'm still trying to work through, I think. And so because of that trauma and because of that hesitation to risk take, I think that it's really hard for me to pinpoint or find failures on that large scale. I can't think of much because, again, I'm a recovering perfectionist. So there's a lot of that trying to figure that out. Have I taken a lot of risks or haven't I? Do I need to take more? But I do think that there's a lot of times where I make little failures from day to day. Things don't work, but I keep at it and I persist in such a way that I don't perceive it necessarily as something that's traumatic to me anymore. But again, then I go into that spiral of, then am I risk-taking enough? So there's that. But if I had to come up with a recent failure, Emily, this will speak to you a little bit because you were there. So Emily and I prepared for a coaching cycle with a specific teacher, rock star teacher. We were like thrilled. We were like geeked out that we were going to get to work with this teacher. She had reached out to us. She's ready for coaching. All right, we're going to be prepared. We got all of our norms ready. We've got our template ready to go. And we were just, we came in hot. And that Did Emily are laughing. <laughs> Yep. Like we were the, <laughs> we were such dorks. We're like, this is gonna be the career defining moment where we are gonna get to coach the dream teacher. And she sits down and we like I said, we came in hot and oh my gosh, we bombed it. We bombed that meeting. It was horrible. Oh, she was yeah. just not, she did not want it. She wanted some help with some tech. And she was really just not having the, like, I really want to get into that deep coaching cycle with you guys. And so she it was, was in like a
1: rejection. consult. Yeah. She yep. was in a consult mode. Totally one, you we you
0: with <laughs> dialogical coaching. <and laughs> we did. Yep. Oh, man. And we, oh, yeah. She, she walked out of that room and we were just like, oh, dang, we just bombed that. Blew and it. we blew, blew it. <laughs> it. We blew it. And you know what? Honestly, she still comes around but I still don't, I think we might have scared her off. (laughs) So we learned from it. We've made our approach a lot more subtle and not got so geeked out. And so hopefully we don't ruin anybody else, but (laughs) it was a lesson learned. I think when you do those kind of failures as well, like you talked about, there's something you can learn from it. And hopefully that lesson learned is just going to help us better serve our teachers and their students and be a little less, a little
2: less eager. Yeah, it I felt like it. It felt like a date where you like come on too strong, <laughs> yeah. and then the person just ghosts you. <laughs> like it's like totally. sort of feeling. <laughs> we were excited to be starting out deep instructional coaching, and of course, we wanted to do it with everybody. And Jenny, you say you're you know, a bit of a perfectionist. It's true. I think at that moment in time. We were trying to find the angle to turn every coaching interaction we had into the highest level of coaching interaction we possibly could have. And I think that there's a lot of nuance that we've learned since then about Thank coaching goodness. people. And I know. <laughs> and even like sort of what I said about my cooperating teacher, not everybody is in a good moment in time for coaching. It might not have anything to do with what you as a coach have to offer, it might just be where they're at. Right then and there. And that's why an interaction happened. Didn't the way we use does, like one too
0: many bitmojis in her notes that we made for her and everything? It was oh, we weird. were man, we-, we flopped. It was horrible. <laughs>
2: Read the it room. Just, it just was. It, it was literally like you're that person getting ghosted on Tinder. Like it felt totally <laughs> like, that. like tried too hard, not what you wanted, and bye. bye. <laughs> she, she <laughs> smelled the
1: desperation on I you. Know. She,
2: <laughs> yeah, we were both wearing the perfume of desperation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> One of the things, Jenny, that you said that I think is worth reiterating is when you approach failure from that design thinking mindset, and it's not a failure, it's an opportunity for iteration. It's an opportunity to take something that you're doing and make it better and improve upon it. I think that helps soften the blow, the emotional blow to one's ego, Mm -hmm. and can be really powerful and put failure in a different mindset. Just wanted to reiterate that point. I think yeah, that's I think really it's, powerful.
0: It's interesting because I don't, I this just comes with, I think, experience, age, time. I don't know. But it, I'm not the same person I was 15 years ago. But failures affect me a lot differently now than they did in my earlier adulthood. Because emotionally, how that would affect me for days and days and you, you can't pull yourself out of it and you're so focused on yourself and... So when you learn to turn that inner eye outward again and to think about how this can help propel you into the next thing and to be better and to try again,
2: that's a really
0: important lesson to develop within yourself over time.
2: It's true. It's kind of what I was saying very early on when you were asking, were we always good at failing? Like, no, you fail at failing (laughs) until you learn how to (laughs) fail. And how you learn how to fail is... Take it, internalize it, think about it, but move on from it. You can't live in sad trombone land, <laughs> kind of like I said earlier. You got to get back up and keep and and, going. And the Maybe truth of right. the
0: matter is failure is coming back to everybody at some point or another. It's how do you learn to be resilient through those failures? Because you can't shield yourself as much as you, even like I said, I try to shield myself a little bit from it by staying in the safe zone, but where you're going to grow the most, and I think where you have the potential to be the best version of yourself,
1: or to live into your potential, you have to be willing to take those risks. I think this is important for all of us to talk about right now, but also to consider from a systems perspective. It's really important for systems in order to improve their overall climate and culture to do the same thing when it comes to failure. A system that does not build a culture that makes it okay to fail, I think it's worth us talking about what could possibly happen for systems that more so punish failure instead of viewing them as part of an iterative and improvement process. So in a system without failure normalization, What is the learning experience for students like?
2: I would say first and foremost, you're looking at a staff of people who are driven by fear. They're afraid to fail. A culture of fear in an educational system is not a good look from top to bottom, But that is what happens when failure has led to people being removed from the system, people being yelled at, people being disciplined, people being zeroed in on. Whereas when there is a culture where failure is normalized and maybe even, dare I say, celebrated, the people who are having the hardest time doing something are the people they invest the most in in terms of their time, their energy. And I'm going to quote Jane Kesey again, but there's a statement of value that is placed on professionals in a system that's normalizing failure as something that's okay, where coaching isn't a disciplinary measure, but something that is invested in a person. And that the difference between investment and discipline really is the difference between that fear that you would see in staff, particularly.
0: The other thing, perfectionism is normalized often as being the way to show your worth. And sometimes it's self-imposed, and other times it's imposed by a system that isn't necessarily encouraging that risk-taking or that willingness to fail and fail forward. And so perfectionism can run rampant in a way that is unhealthy. And so I mentioned it earlier, found so much freedom in letting go of that perfection. And so how do you help instill that idea that perfect isn't what we're looking for? In fact, it might actually hinder those risk-taking
2: adventures, the innovation that could come as a result. And Casey, you kind of mentioned it earlier. You said, what does it look like and what does it look like for students? I think that's a huge thing we have to flag here is Mm -hmm. what happens to students when the adults within a system are perfectionists and or living in fear of making mistakes, much less normalizing and celebrating those mistakes that they make. You're going to find students embodying those same qualities. The students will be fearful. The students, It'll be that silent room where no one wants to raise their hand because the kids are afraid of saying the wrong answer so they would rather say no answer at all you can see it even in our little bitties whether they're picking it up from us or not my five-year-old daughter said the other day on the way home from school making mistakes is the best way to learn i was so proud to hear her say that i hope that's how we can talk about failure in my house and in our systems
1: we know that modeling is a high yield instructional practice students learn when they're seeing examples of what the final product or what the experience looks like and is discussed. So when you're talking about failing forward versus that culture of fear, if you really want to live that, you have to, with your students, with your teachers, with your system, admit, I screwed up, but here's what I'm learning from it and here's what I'm taking away from it and here's how what our learning community has helped me grow from it. It really does tie back to be the change you want to see. That's one of the things my staff loves to see me experience. When I fail integrating a new technology or when I'm trying to teach a hybrid lesson and I'm being evaluated and it completely bombs, it makes it safer for others to feel an experience and make it be okay for them to mess up, as long as we're continuously trying to improve from it. So let's talk a little bit about this and kind of sum up some of our suggestions for hacking failure.
2: So I would say the very first hack or takeaway I could give to any listener is, define your own failure or success. A lot of the things we mentioned earlier about the ways that people might fail were things that come from somebody else. And even you saw a lot of that in our own stories. Somebody, there was a rejection or someone passed on us or someone outright confronted us and said we weren't doing something correctly. But at the end, you are the person who made the mistake Look inside yourself, reflect, and define what your own failure is. And kind of like Jenny said, you can shield yourself a little bit from these ideas of failure by looking at them as opportunities for growth. And even finding success within there, finding some things that you are doing very well to accompany your failure and help you figure out how to make your failures look more like your successes.
1: The next hack is from Ed Catmull from his book, Creativity, Inc. He's the studio head from Pixar Animation. And his suggestion was to fail fast. Do as much as you can to learn and talk to as many people as you can when you're trying to get a project or an idea off the ground. Fail fast so that you can work out the kinks learn and iterate and move forward in the project. So I love that. And I've tried to use that myself. Let me fail as fast as I can so that I can learn from a mistake, which is why I take action really fast. (laughs) Don't take anything personally when people don't like my first draft of something. And the next hack is going
0: along with gilding up. Like I mentioned, it was probably serendipitous that it was Emily and I in that bombed coaching Appointment. But when you find your people and you can balance your weaknesses, come out of it on the other end and talk through it. How are we going to bounce back from this one? That's where you can find some of your resiliency so you're
2: not doing it alone. And finally, do not define yourself in the context of your failures. Our failures do not define who we are, they shape who we are, they help us grow, they help us become better people. But no person is a failure. We all have failures in our wake. Some of us have many failures in our wake, but we are not failures as long as we are still putting one foot in front of the other and are willing to learn.
0: I love this next
1: one, Casey. You got. <laughs> you got to say it.
2: Yes, say do it. it.
1: Yeah, just say the f word and move on. <laughs> like, and again, that's a practice I do fairly often. Is say that <laughs> f word. Not the other F word, but the actual <laughs> F word. And then just get up, move on. This one is a little hard for me sometimes, depending on how deep the failure hits. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I will have to talk about it with my trusted peer group quite a bit when I experience that moment. But ultimately, you can't wrap yourself in the failure hug forever. You have to take what you can, dust yourself off, and learn from it. You guys ready for game? Yeah, we're going to shake
0: it up a little bit today, aren't we? We kind of, we've changed it from most likely to, we're going to do a little bit differently this time. Who wants to set it up? Mm -hmm. So
1: this time we're doing a would you rather. Mm -hmm. So let's do this. Jenny, which would you rather have? A guest pop by when your house is a mess or have to work an entire day with bedhead? Ooh, ooh, I have one. Okay. (laughs) This one is way too easy. Anybody that knows me well
0: enough that's listening to this right now is going to know what I'm going to say before I even say it. I'm going to own up to it. I have naturally curly hair that is a frizz ball and really dry. And so I don't wash my hair very often. So that's out on the internet now. I think I wash it. No, I don't think I know. I wash my hair once a week, once a week, Saturday's my day. So going to work with my hair as bedhead is every day of my life. It is not even that is just something I do. So obviously, have a guest pop by when your house is a mess. Oh, this is part of the recovering perfectionist in me. I like my house to be tidy and in order if we're gonna have guests. But you know, here's a silver lining to the pandemic of not having people come to your house has been really freeing, not feeling like I have to keep my upkeep my house with three young children at home that are always terrorizing it. So you'd
1: rather have bedhead. I'd rather <laughs> have bedhead. That's your norm. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's my norm. <laughs> all right. I'm gonna give this next one to Emily. Emily, would you rather accidentally hit reply all to your entire staff with a personally sensitive response? or flush the toilet when you forget you're muted during an online whole staff meeting.
2: Give me that reply all, oh, man. I've been there. I I've, I've survived it. Like Jenny said, we've all been there. We've gotten through it before. I mean, I think the definition of personally sensitive might vary. But I still would take that reply all over that toilet flush, man. I know everybody <laughs> uses the bathroom. I mean, come on. But that is one of those things. You that, would never um, live
0: that one down if it happened. <laughs> no, so At least never. the reply all, oops, you. most people. Yeah,
2: done <laughs> everybody's done it since the invention of email at one point or another. So I think I could at least live with that with a, oops, sorry, everybody, I suck, and then, F word, move on, right?
1: Yep. Can I just say I'd rather be the toilet flush (laughs) only because there's not a record of it and maybe people wouldn't know it was me. Is there a chance? Because the reply all everyone's going to know it's me. So.
0: Speaking from someone who's traumatized by a reply, <laughs> yeah,
2: I was going to say, you can tell you've been down that road recently. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. no toilets, that's, no... P-. That's a fresh, fresh wound, wound right yeah. there. <laughs> Just to bug you even further, Casey, would you rather keynote a conference next week alone without me and Jenny, or would you rather jump off a high dive board at the pool wearing a two-piece...
1: I love the mental visual I have right now. (laughs) Horrible. I'm like, do people go to
2: swimming pools still? I don't even know. (laughs)
1: Oh, you know what? I would probably say keynote a conference next week alone. You'd make it happen. I would make make it 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 happen, number one. And number two, I feel more comfortable doing that than being in a bathing suit. (laughs) At all, period. horrible for my (laughs) own personal emotions. (laughs)
2: Yeah, you'd crush that keynote. You'd go to your make it workplace and do awesome stuff. All right, so we've all gotten a little bit vulnerable here talking about our personal failure and about what failure means to us and different ways people can move on from failure and had a little bit of fun there at the end. So we want to have you thinking about coming back to our future meetings of the Grounded Learners Guild. And what's coming up for us is, first of all, the PLC traffic jam. Every PLC is on a journey trying to get somewhere with their work together. And some of those journeys can be a little bit more productive and or easier than others. We're going to talk a little bit about the things that make the traffic of PLCs flow and other things that catch them stuck and make people frustrated. After that, we're going to be talking about data a twisted love story so we are going to be doing data driven discussion talking about our journeys with data and what bothers people about it and also what is so gosh darn appealing about it still in spite of it all
0: and that's a wrap on today's episode it is our sincerest hope to advocate for adult learners and we aim to contribute to this community with genuine conversations about education leadership and topics that matter to you. If you'd like to connect, you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, on Twitter, at GroundedLGuild, at C Veacher, at Tech Coach M, and at Jenny Labrie, using the hashtag GLGPodChat. We believe in the power of feedback. It helps us to keep growing and allows us to bring new quality and customized content. Subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for joining us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode of the Grounded Learners Guild. See you at the next guild meeting. And in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.